Please be seated. <clears throat> this morning's reading is from 1 Peter chapter 3, and we're starting at verse 13. <clears throat> Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats, do not be frightened, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made the proclamations to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water, and this water symbolizes baptism, that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand, with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live in the rest of their earthly lives for evil, for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what the pagans chose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give, but they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. And moving forward to verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. This is the word of the Lord. Well, that's a pretty dense passage, isn't it? We've had two or three in the last few weeks as we've been wading through 1 Peter. Um, I'm going to try and bring some simple truths out of that this morning. But uh, let's pray first of all. Father God, your, your life, your word is life to us. 
And we pray that through a word this morning, you might breathe life into us and give us greater confidence in your gospel. Amen. Okay, I wonder how you respond to this uh, very simple quote. Nothing worth doing is ever easy. Just turn to your neighbour briefly and see if you uh, agree with that to any degree. Nothing worth doing is ever easy. What do you think of that one? You've got 30 seconds. Okay, um, I won't ask for feedback. We'll go on to um, a slightly expanded version of that quotation. This is from uh, President uh, Teddy Roosevelt, 26th President of the United States, considered by many to be one of the greatest American presidents. He said this, nothing in the world is worth having or worth doing unless it means effort, pain, difficulty. I have never in my life envied a human being who led an easy life. I have envied a great many people who led difficult lives and led them well. What do we make of that one? We, um, we often crave an easy life, don't we? We like things to be straightforward, no sort of barriers in the way, everything hunky-dory. And yet the reality is that it's not always easy living openly as a follower of Jesus. It might mean opposition, criticism, persecution, or suffering. But it's a life worth living. Uh, As Christians in the West, we don't really know what suffering is like in terms of responding to opposition. We might face physical suffering in different ways, mental anguish, whatever. We might be blanked by a work colleague, perhaps, for talking about our faith or for standing up for God's values. We might be sneered at by an unbelieving spouse, a partner, We might be brandished a a, a do-gooder or a a god-botherer. Or we might be misunderstood by friends. But boy, do we have it easy. 1 Peter speaks into a culture where it really was tough to be a Christian, where persecution was rife, where the authorities actively sought out believers with a view to silencing them for good. And then in the years after Jesus' own death, many believers were physically tortured and killed for what they believed. And as we all know, the same is true for many believers in certain parts of the world today, whether it be Afghanistan or Pakistan or North Korea. There are a plethora of horror stories month by month coming out of those nations. And our support of Open Doors as one of our mission partner agencies heightens our awareness of such sufferings. We're very grateful to Anne Travers and Mary Massey for keeping their work in our view. The reality is that 360 million Christians face persecution or discrimination across the world today. In the West, we have it so easy. And in the face of suffering and potential persecution, the message of 1 Peter is clear. Yes, there will be persecution, but don't hide away. Don't retreat. Speak up, speak out, and live openly 
as a follower of Christ. Life is worth living. And I just want us to think for a few minutes about what it was that gave him such confidence as he was writing. And having grappled with this passage over the past few days, I'm led back to an acclamation of faith which will be familiar to many of us from the communion service, from the Eucharistic prayer. Having spoken of Jesus' actions at the Last Supper, the minister proclaims, great is the mystery of faith. And the people respond, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. And all of these three truths give us grounds for confidence, to not be held back by what others might think or how others might treat us, and they give us a reason to go public with our faith. And these truths would have brought courage to the earliest believers. And so Peter reminds us in chapter 3, verse 18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Christ has died. There are two angles on this. Firstly, no suffering or opposition we might experience is going to compare to the suffering and opposition which Jesus himself experienced on the cross. He has gone before us. He didn't shy away from it because he knew the bigger picture. It wasn't easy. Remember him crying out to his father in Gethsemane that he might be spared. But he persevered to the end. Secondly, his suffering was for our sake. All that he went through enables the broken relationship with God caused by our sin to be restored. And so living our lives to honour him and speaking up for him is a grateful response to the one who gave himself up for us. It's a way of saying thank you. Christ has died, and so we can have confidence. But more than that, Christ is risen. Peter goes on to speak of the encouragement we receive and the motivation of knowing that Christ is risen and is victorious. And there's a somewhat obscure line of reasoning as he takes us on a little detour through the story of Noah in the Old Testament. It's an analogy and an illustration, a way of unwrapping things which would have made a lot more sense to the first century readers, familiar with the book of Enoch, which would have been well known in those days. A book which celebrates God's victory over the evil spiritual forces around the time of Noah. And Peter goes on to link the idea of God's rescue through the flood to the idea of God's rescue in baptism. If you want to understand this a little bit more, I'd recommend Tom Wright's early Christian letters for everyone because there's some useful paragraphs in there. In Noah's day, God kept his promises to a handful of people who trusted him and saved them from the flood. Today, we proclaim God's victory over evil in baptism. And ultimately, Peter wants his readers and us to be confident in the truth of the resurrection, the resurrection proving once again that God can be trusted. And so chapter 3, verse 21, at the end there, 
It, baptism, saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's not actually saying that the act of baptism saves us, but that baptism is effective because of the resurrection. Maybe to help us understand the significance of the resurrection, it's easier to take a detour via 1 Corinthians 15, where we get those wonderful words. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. We have confidence that sin has been defeated and death has been beaten through the reality of the resurrection. And the resurrection is a vital component of Christian belief. But it doesn't end there. There's even even more reason to be confident. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. So chapter 4, verse 13, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Yes, it might be tough now, says Peter. It might be tough in the weeks and months ahead. You may well experience opposition, but take the long-term view. One day you will see God's glory. When Jesus comes to judge the living and the dead, make sure you're on the right side of God's judgment. I think it's fair to say Christians on the whole are quite a a timid bunch. Maybe Anglicans especially. We're certainly not all evangelists. We don't don't all have that gift of being able to um, speak confidently and in a way which draws others to Christ. But we are called all to be witnesses, to speak and live in a way that honours him. If we've been given a a special gift, just imagine you've been given a special gift by a friend. What do you do with it? You don't open it and hide it away. You don't put it in the loft to keep it safe and then forget about it. You use it or you put it on display. You might tell others about it. You might give it pride of place. Well, we have been given the most precious of gifts, the gift of eternal life, a gift marked with acceptance and forgiveness and purpose and hope. It's not one to be timid about. And that's why Peter goes on to say, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. It's why he exhorts us to live our lives for the will of God, rather than living a life to please ourselves. John has read that great list of you know, carousing and orgy, orgies and debauchery and all sorts of things. He said, no, those things are of the past. If you're going to follow Jesus, those things are of the past. There's a new way to live. Live for the will of God rather than living to please yourselves. And we can do so with confidence because Christ has died. Christ is risen. And Christ will come again. In a few moments, we're going to sing um, a song. I'm no longer a slave to fear, I am a child of of God. Um, I I call this my running song. Because I I haven't been running much recently, I must admit. So don't be too impressed. But when I do go running, 
around um, French A in particular. I'll be humming this tune or maybe singing this song. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. It just happens, the rhythm just happens to fit with my long-legged, loping running style. (laughs) And it's a way of reminding myself, even as I'm pounding the streets, of, you know, God's faithfulness and some of those truths that are contained within this passage. I think I lift my feet up a little bit higher when I'm humming that tune as I run. And I hope that you will lift your feet a bit higher, metaphorically, this week, in the light of the truths we've explored this morning. Remembering that Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. So yeah, there may be struggles, there may be challenges, but our God is greater, our God is stronger. Amen.